Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose. Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing is the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing. Wellness Force Radio episode 139 with Dr. Roger Mignosa. When you're injured, your nervous system communicates with your endocrine system, communicates with your GI system, and all of that big fat mess is bi-directional. It's not just one simple thing, right? So if you're going to fix that, you can't touch one thing without affecting everything. The essentially difference between integrative medicine and traditional medicine as we know it, I think it's a, a philosophy. It's a philosophy that the body can fix itself if we give it the right stuff, as opposed to saying the body is screwing up. Because I don't think the body responds in a negative way. I think it's trying to adapt all the time. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this episode, we're continuing on for our featured Stand Tall series. With IntelliSkin, we are live at Rock Tapes Rockstock 2017 with Dr. Roger Bignosa, an osteopath, Ironman triathlete, and physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist, where he's uncovering for us how we can heal the body and mind through a holistic and integrated wellness program. Dr. Bignosa has a different approach than many traditional medicine practitioners where his healthcare programs put the patient at the center and address the full range of physical, emotional, mental, social, spiritual, and environmental influences that affect their health. You know, from head to toe, we're all highly connected and comprehensive human beings, aren't we? This physical and mental aspects of our life, they affect us so much, each in their own powerful way, and appearingly they seem separate but they're actually all connected and heavily interrelated. Knowing that these different aspects of our well-being all correlate, why is it that so many healthcare pros still operate with this reductionistic mentality, focused on localized symptoms and fail to appreciate and really examine the entire chain of events that could help lead to the real root cause of our issues? We go over that in this interview and make sure to head over to the show notes page today at wellnessforce.com forward slash 139. Learn more about Dr. Magnosa. Explore all the takeaways from this podcast, including his story about how he went on his own path of healing along with the help of Dr. Tim Brown to transcend the mental and physical pieces to become one of the most sought after medical professionals in our country. Okay, no further waiting. Let's drop in with Dr. Magnosa live at the Rockstock event in Huntington Beach. Well, let's talk about how your road actually brought you here. But I have to ask you this question yeah. because you seem like you're a very open person. Mm -hmm. uh, how would you actually define physical and emotional intelligence? Like, what does that look like to you? I think you can use a lot of platitudes and say words that may sound good but not mean much. I really think a lot of it is openness and the ability to have a lot of choices with any given situation or obstacle. So say you have a bad event happen in your life, whether it be a physical injury or an emotional trauma. How do I respond to that? If you only have one thought in your life that you can do, that's not really a healthy outcome that you're going to have because you're limited by your one choice. If you can think about 20 different things that you could potentially do, and then you can have a little bit of intelligence to say, okay, I'm not going to be drawn into this by making a choice based only on emotion or only in my head where a lot of people disassociate, you're going to kind of combine them two together and figure it out. 
Wow. So it's the combination of two. Would you say that it's more of being the observer? I don't want to get too in the spiritual weeds, but what would you think about the observer, that third part of us that sees both the physical and the emotional? I'm going to talk a little bit about brain function, brain injury. And people can say that's a different spectrum that people deal with. But part of it is consciousness, which is actually being awake. And it's not so simple as just like, okay, I'm awake and I'm aware, but you're aware of your own self from outside of yourself. Yeah. And you're not in the future. And the other part of brain injury is amnesia. A lot of people have essentially lost their past when they get a brain injury, right? And I want to make it so that you're here now. If you're in the future, you're kind of depressed or anxious. And if you're in the past, you're depressed more so. More so depressed in the past, more so anxious in the future. And if you're going to be both physically healthy, the purpose of this whole conference is to try to get people to move. Move well and move efficiently with breath. You know, Albert Einstein, his most famous quote was, nothing happens until something moves. I'm in physical medicine. You should understand physics. Like physical medicine is based upon movement. And a lot of times what we do is we see in medicine that we teach structure. Like you have a knee injury, so we're going to look at your knee. But we're not going to look at the whole you. We're going to look at your knee. And that's kind of short-sighted because if you really want to fix something, you have to look at the whole chain of things. And you may be storing stuff emotionally. Everyone carries stress differently. A lot of people carry it in their shoulders. Some people carry it in their hips. Some people carry it in the pit of the abdomen. It may manifest as a physical injury later, but you can't separate them two. I know it, yeah. it's like one thing. You're saying one thing, but I'm. you go to the orthopedic surgeon or podiatrist. Podiatrists are great, but I think it's kind of odd that very few podiatrists don't do full exams. I know a few that are amazing because your feet are extremely important. But how come it's 2017 and we still have doctors that just isolate in one part of your body? Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about doctors where I think it's two days or maybe four days of nutritional training yeah. in medical school. So there's old paradigms that are being shattered right now. I, I love the one that you're shattering around brain health. Yeah. Before we get into brain health and your story, though, I know, Tim actually worked with you when you were a high school student. Yeah. Now you are setting this new precedent in healthcare. Just give us the quick story. We're here celebrating this partnership yeah, with IntelliScan yeah, yeah, and Wellness yeah. Force. So tell us about that connection with Tim. Tim told me at a very young age, he said, Roger, if you're interested in going into medicine, become the doctor that you would want to go to. And it really stuck with me and it made me think, obviously, I want to give something to someone that I would want to receive. And that means I need to study all the things that I need to get better. So all those nutrition studies, all those exercise physiology books that you read, they're not based upon getting a grade or school. They're just based upon, I value this. And that's where the matching kind of goes in. That's how I found Tim, essentially, because you want to go to someone who shares your values. Because if I value something, I'm going to ask you about it. If I don't, I'm not really going to care. I'm going to be, there's a degree of apathy where you're just going to be like, okay, well, this is my checklist of things that I want to do. And you may not ask an open-ended question because you're scared that that answer is going to take too long to figure out. You're just going to be like, I can read that in the chart. I'm not going to ask, but I can never get anything from the chart. Because health goes way beyond just the chart. Yeah. So we're looking at the whole being, the whole person. We can't just go to a segmented piece. Like you said about the, the podiatrist, you know, if people are podiatrists, then we have to look at the foot connected to the rest of the body. Yeah. Talk to us about your injury though. I mean, you worked with Tim for how long? And what injury did you have that you transcended? How'd you do that? I landed on a bar and high jump when I was 
a kid and it manifested as hip injuries about a year later. And I went from doctor to doctor until I got to this orthopedic surgeon that was really prestigious and I was really excited because he told me, you know what? You're going to get better. I'm going to do this, this, and the other thing. And he gave me a lot of confidence, but he didn't really give me the tools. And what ended up happening was I was 16, 15 years old, went through the whole progress, and it didn't work. There was there were certain things, and I started doing all my own research and figuring stuff out like, okay, there's this nutritional component to it. There's this exercise component to it, and I want to fine-tune it. And when I came back to him and gave him all of my ideas about things that I could fine-tune, instead of being open to it, he was kind of shutting me down like it was an insult to his intelligence. That wasn't the intention. So he basically just told me that you should give up running. And I said, hmm, yes. I'm 16 years old. Really? At 16, you were told, don't run anymore. <laughs> just, yeah, just quit. Just quit. Just quit. I'm <laughs> so like, you were really you're, challenging you're his paradigm because well, he was looking at life through a different lens. I think a little bit of it was that he wanted to put a simple solution to a complicated problems and it, it didn't work. Instead of being like, you know what? I don't know. 100% of what's going on, but maybe there's someone else that can help you. Instead of saying that, he made me basically like, this is your death sentence. Yeah. And then the experience with Tim was totally different. I went to him and he's like, well, these things, which weren't even addressed before, need to be in place for you to get better. What were those things? What were those things that need to be addressed? Some things that weren't even related. Some things that were related to breath, some things that were related to posture, some things that were related to actually doing a more in-depth physical exam, not just looking at my hip. And basically things that, it was 20 years now, ago now, <laughs> but it opened my eyes to the idea that maybe we're not doing enough just looking where you're hurting. After only a short amount of time with it, you're 16, you heal pretty fast. Sure. Right? I mean, hormones are on your side at that I, point. I mean, yeah you, yeah, you you really have good plasma. Like, that's how you heal. And within about six months, I was back on the cross-country team, and I was the fastest runner on my team. Like, And that's why it was so hard to actually not be able to run, because you have a huge part of your identity when you're a kid. We still connect to that identity, whether we're a weekend warrior, yeah, whether yeah. we're a CrossFit athlete, or just a runner or anyone at any age. And so I feel like when people go through an injury, there's a massive psychological component to that, yeah. as well as a physiological component. So when you work with Tim, was it physiological and psychological? That's actually funny that you actually mentioned that, because one of the ideas of the orthopedic surgeon was to give me an antidepressant to lessen the sensitivity of my nerves. And what it really effectively did was put me to sleep. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but those drugs actually really sedate you. I haven't taken them, but I know many people, it basically shuts them off completely, just numbs you all over. Yeah, so it quite strongly sedated me. And uh, I think one of the other reasons why he was upset with me is because I said, I can't keep on taking this. And the whole thing is, is that when you're injured, your nervous system communicates with your endocrine system, communicates with your GI system, and all of that big fat mess is bi-directional. It's not just one simple thing, right? So if you're gonna fix that, you can't touch one thing without affecting everything. So we should be working to wake those nerves up, not to sedate them. Yeah. The essentially difference between integrative medicine and traditional medicine as we know it, I think it's a, a philosophy. It's a philosophy that the body can fix itself if we give it the right stuff, as opposed to saying that the body is screwing up. 
Because I don't think the body responds in a negative way. I think it's trying to adapt all the time. But these three core pillars, you know, breathing, we yeah. have to do. We have to eat high quality nutrients yes. and we have to sleep. Yeah. If we're not doing those things, then we can't really move effectively. We can't really be aware of our physical intelligence. So how do you put that in your training, those blocks, those pillars? Tell us about your approach to this. Every day, every one of my patients says the same thing to me. And I say the same thing to my patient. They say, Dr. Munoza, this is hard. What I'm trying to do is to teach them a pattern which is different than they've been learning their entire life in breath, in motion. And that is hard because you have had a habit for a long period of time, right? So my main approach is number one, I take a lot of postural screening pictures of patients and then I want them to see themselves from my eyes. Because how can you change if you don't see anything that's wrong, right? And I don't even like to say it as it's wrong because I'd rather look for something that's right than something that's wrong and us be striving towards fixing something. Because a lot of the time, that's, I think, the, the direction of medicine is like, all right, this is a symptom. Let's get rid of it. Mm. Right? I say, you know what? You have these things working for you. We just need to work on these to bring it up to par, to make it better. Right? It's a different thought. And when you looked at how that affects the endocrine system and the GI system, any kind of clue will lead you back to the root. A lot of times, though, people will try to band-aid some type of yeah, symptom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, we're talking about getting to the root here. Yeah. How do you approach the root? Is there kind of a, a grand check or maybe a blanket system that you apply when you start working with people? The thing that I would look for is a matching component. This is kind of complicated to explain, but people have physical health, people have physiological health, and people have mental emotional health, right? So from a physical standpoint, you have to use a lot of physics. You have to restore physiological motion, which means that you have to improve the mobility of issues and the motility. Now, mobility and motility are two different things. Mobility means I can move my elbow. Motility means that there's an inherent motion of that elbow. And that motion is related to all the fascia, all the diaphragms that are already moving within the engine of your heart and lungs. That's kind of complicated, and I know it takes a while <laughs> yeah. to bring patients up to there, but people have to start coming up if they want to get better because you can't always come down and make something so simple that doesn't challenge someone to get better because if you're going to get better, you have to challenge yourself. That's how I got better, right? I needed to figure it out. That's just the physical. And then the physiological is, okay, well, nutrient standpoint. What the heck is going on? Brain injury specifically, it's actually a metabolic injury that happens after the trauma. That's a result of lack of motion mm -hmm. because you have a diaphragm in your cranium. So when someone's going through a new pattern, a new movement pattern, mm -hmm. they're obviously building new synaptic connections. They're pruning the old ones. Correct. What have you seen to help accelerate that process? Restoring the normal motion patterns through a couple of mechanisms. Number one, breath and motion is critical, but that you need to restore that. I do a lot of cranial sacral work as an osteopath. Tell us about that. What is um, that. So your cranium and your sacrum are a pump. And it's the third pump that you actually have because your heart is the most important muscle of your body. Contracts about 100,000 times per day. Diaphragm, second most important muscle of your body, contracts about 20,000 times per day. Your cranium has a flexion and extension moment, which is basically your internal ocean, which is made by your cerebral spinal fluid expanding and contracting about 12 times per minute. And when you have good health of the diaphragms and few restrictions in your cranium all the way to your sacrum, 
then that moves freely and that is the immune system of your nervous system. The internal ocean. I have never heard that before. I yeah. love that analogy so much. How do we increase the flow and the freedom of our internal ocean? Exercise is the best thing that you can do. <laughs> yeah. Exercise, in actual fact, varying the intensity of exercise. And that's why there's that simple statement that um, if you're going to do something the same thing all the day, every day, again and again and again, it gets boring, right? Yes. So variety is the spice of life. So in exercise, we should have variety as well. Variety, not just in what we're doing, but also in the intensity. Because that intensity can vary how our nervous system is responding to adapt to whatever the heck is dealing with. From a standpoint of things that are complicated, if you've had injuries and you need to correct them, cranial osteopathy is phenomenal. This craniosacral therapy, I've heard it a few times. The length of time, though, obviously depends on the injury of the client, of the injury of the patient, right? But Correct. Is there a window for people that have become defeated? I mean, how can you pull somebody out of six, 12 years of being defeated physically? Do you know, it's people ask me the same question every day, right? One of the main things they say is, how long, how many treatments is it going to take for me to fix this? When can I get right? better? How, right. Like, like it's a mathematical equation. And the answer, which is simple and complicated, is it depends on the density of your habit or restriction or injury. Everything's a spectrum. If something was very, very minor, then we're not going to put much effort to correct it to get it back to neutral. But if it's really serious and you've had to deal with this for a long time, it's going to take more work. And the patients who appreciate that and understand that, they're going to put the work in if they really want to get better. So there's the physical modality. There's the psychological modality. What have you seen from maybe one or two mental habits when people are going through this healing process? Yeah. Uh, do they need the external framework of community? Can they use technology? What are the things that we can do to buffer their healing to support that? I think one of the main things is they have to get out of the mindset of catastrophizing which is the most hard thing to do if people are already doing it. Something something's bad's already happening and then something bad happens and then you keep on going down and down and down. Uh, there's a study done not long ago where they had a bunch of people who had heart attacks and they were asked a question, do you have someone to confide in, right? And there were four groups. You were either married and you had someone to confide in, you were married and you didn't have someone to confide in, which is kind of weird, you were not <laughs> that doesn't sound like that much fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound that sound good at all. No. You were not married, but you had someone to confide in, and you were not married and you didn't have anyone to confide in. Mm -hmm. Right? So of all these groups, far and away, the people who were not married and had no one to confide in did the worst for mortality. About three one third of the degree, uh, as well as the other three groups, even the people who were married and didn't have someone to confide in did phenomenally better for mortality. And this was just a cut and dry, did you last five years after having the heart attack? Because that's a pretty hard end number, right? So what it's saying is that whoever you are, you need to find someone to confide in. Yeah. Because you're not alone. Or maybe even a group of people Our to group, confide in, it'd be right? great. That's, that's why some of these exercise programs in my mind, like CrossFit, has taken off because it's not just that we do exercise that's perfect for you. It's a community, right? If you're a triathlete and you have a bunch of triathlete buddies, right? My best friend was my friend in high school that I ran across country with, and I call him on the phone all the time. Yeah. Let's go for a run. 
Well, and there's an emotional connection there. I feel like the real bridge between knowing and doing yeah. is human connection. Yeah. There's no way to take your knowledge and apply it if you're not inspired to apply your knowledge. So there has to be some kind of emotional hook for people to heal as well. Everyone has their own story, but people have different things that motivate them. And if people really want to get better, they have to want to want to get better. Some people, some people, they just need the help, the technical help. And I think that's why I do try to do things that help to see them outside of themselves. And as a physician, you can't do everything yeah. for them. They have to do it for themselves as well. But my, that's, I think that's the most important job that anyone can do is because I can only be with the person for maybe one half hour to an hour a week, maybe if I see them once a week or a little bit more for some people who really need it. But that's only one hour. That's like less than 1% of your week. Let's shift gears here because when we talked about human connection and you talked about people healing where they did the study where if you were married and you had that connection, you would heal. The opposite of addiction is also human connection. We We look at the opioid crisis that's in the country right now. People are drawn to that because they have a lack of human connection. It's not because it's so addictive itself. I mean, yes, it is highly addictive, but so is not having a support system around you when that's always at arm's reach. How do you feel like we can transcend this? I think that they need a different social structure because we think that medicine is you go with someone, they fix you, you go home, right? I don't think that that's medicine. I think that medicine is agriculture. Medicine is social policy. Medicine is your community. Medicine is all those things that are feeding it. Like you respond to your environment appropriately. And if you're not responding to your environment appropriately, there's something terribly wrong. Something's going wrong, right? So when you're talking about what what people drives people to do opioids, I think some people have legitimate pain. Yeah. And that pain isn't just physical. And what I found in people who say they want to increase their dose, right? And then they come to me and they're like, oh, I need to increase my dose. It's usually something to do with an emotional component of anxiety most commonly. That's why they need to increase the dose. The most commonly written drugs are pain meds, anti-anxiety meds, and sleep meds inpatient in the, in, in the hospital. So if you keep on throwing pain meds at it and it's not working, you don't just throw anxiety meds at it. You treat the anxiety to yes. figure it out. And yes. I worked in a rehab unit when I was in residency. And we had physical therapy, occupational therapy, psychologists, and we had a recreational therapist. And they also had community. And if you ever worked in a veterans affairs hospital, it's a phenomenal experience. Because if you go to the VA hospital, there's four people in a room, right? If you go to a really prestigious hospital that has lots of money, you'll have one person in a room. Who do you think you would do better? <laughs> the person who has their own room or the people who have four people? Because yeah. these four people, they're all unhealthy and not doing good. The people who had four people in the room, when someone left because they were discharged, everyone was sad to see that person go. Yes. Because they actually formed a community within the hospital when they were ill. And it was it was kind of amazingly touching when you're there and you're like, these patients were praying for each other. These patients were concerned about their neighbor. And I think that 
just because they are affluent, they didn't have better outcomes. This is the secret sauce. The secret sauce is very proactive, intelligent healthcare models combined with human connection. I think it's all integral yeah. there. And and my curiosity is this next wave. I mean, what I feel like what you're doing, especially with your story and just everything you're up to right now, it's this new wave of healthcare. It's understanding that somebody from the teeth to the toe is a comprehensive human. Yeah. There's more than just treating the foot or, or the knee or, or even the GI. It's all connected. How do you think we're going to connect all these pieces as we move forward? It's a really big question. So no pressure. Just, oh, solve, no. Go, just solve all the world's problems here for a moment. I can... S- you can solve your own problems. And I think I've, I've been on a lot of committees, conference calls, trying to figure out these same things with a lot of really intelligent people on the conference call. And we need to teach people to be at the driver's seat and to be in control. And I think as practitioners, we need to throw our ego out the door and collaborate as much as we possibly can. And we need to build a system that fosters and rewards that because there's no reward for collaboration right now as the system sits. So people are protecting their territory and that's really dysfunctional for improving the health of a community. By no means am I saying that these people are doing something that's horribly wrong because right now it's so difficult and there's many barriers that are put up in front of them. Everyone has a different electronic medical record. Sure. Do you get paid for extra time? What insurance codes work for what treatment? And that's why I think... When I said in the very beginning, we need to bring patients up, not just come down to them. I think we actually need not just to have physicians, but we also need to have community educators. We need to put this in the schools. We need to make it so that we have educational programs that are just like going to a university to learn a skill to teach people how to take care of the issues. Because a lot of people have community issues, right? How common is back pain? Very common. How common is heart disease? Unfortunately, very common. How common is anything under the sun? There's this guy named Dean Ornish. He put a program together for heart disease. And his rates of success are around 90%. You know what the rate of success for traditional cardiac rehab is? What is it? Around 30. Wow. And his program is community, nutrition, exercise, and mindfulness. So it's not just about the nutrients that the Ornish diet produces. It's more about the other integral pieces that are supporting it. So I think there's a big picture here that we're talking about. And and we've touched on it a few times in this interview. It's like we understand that what comes in is important. We also understand what thoughts come out are just as important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, most of our brain is devoted to sensing the environment. When we think about really amazing athletes, they're really good at sensing what's going on around them. And everyone's an athlete to a degree. If you have a body, you're an athlete. Yeah. That's Bill Bowerman's famous saying, the guy who started Nike, right? So <laughs> what's coming in is actually this internal talk that when you talk about in and out, I kind of think if it's all the same because really how negative are we on ourselves? Yes. That's the most common problem that we got to deal with. The internal narrative is so important, man. And I've really enjoyed where we've gone in this conversation. Where can people learn more about you and what you're up to? I have a website, drmignosa.com, M-I-G-N-O-S-A. I'm lecturing at a lot of conferences and trying to start collaboration with other docs. There's something called the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. I'm going to be lecturing there in the fall. There's another movement, which I'm really working hard with, is called the Academy of Integrative Pain Management. And what we're trying to do is form a continuing medical education conference that invites everyone. 
We don't care if you have great credentials like MD, DO. We don't care if you're a DC, a licensed acupuncturist, a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant. It doesn't matter. Do you want to help people? Because at the end of the day, my mom taught me this. No one cares what letters are behind your name. They care if you can help them with the problem. Well, I think that drops the mic on the interview. Thank yeah. you so much for coming Absolutely. on the show. You're right. It's not about how much letters you have. It's about do people understand that you care? So thanks for reminding yeah. us about that and sharing Absolutely. your expertise, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hey, my friend. Thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.